episode of Beating Alpha. This is episode 103, and we have a, a very special guest on. Uh, I will, you will see this man in a few seconds, but first of all, let me introduce to the Bra uh, Barry Griffiths. Uh, he is the host of the YouTube channel called Wrestling with Real Estate. Make sure that you find that and subscribe to it. So there is a lot of great content that's already there, and I'm sure there's plenty more coming out. Uh, and he talks uh, with the people uh, with all aspects of the industry, so everything real estate uh, related. His whole goal is to help educate as many people to the amazing benefits of real estate. Uh, for the past decade, he has been working in the entertainment industry. He previously started in the UK version of the US Gladiators, funny enough, as a Gladiator Goliath. Uh, then went on to wrestle on a TV for WWE as a Mason Ryan where he wrestled like uh, John Cena, performed on a pay-per-views, and regularly appealed on a Monday Night Raw. Uh, he's currently performing uh, for, again, sorry, for Cirque, uh, Cirque de Soleil at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And again, for the social media, make sure, uh, again, this is the show for you guys, not just to watch consumer information, but at the same time to connect with people just like Barry, so make sure to do so. Of course, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, websites, all of that good stuff is going to be included down below. So make sure that you do that. But first of all, Barry, I just want to say a big thank you today for being on the show. My pleasure, man. I'm happy to be here. And uh, as you were talking, I'm like, I, I need to cut my bio down, I think, that I sent people out because that's a, man, that's I, a lot. I got, I, got, I, got, I got thirsty a little bit, you know? Uh, I think your beard grew as well while you were talking. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I love it. Look, uh, Ryan, so uh, I mean... Um, uh, Ryan, uh, Barry, uh, one thing that I wanted to start with, again, maybe if we start with your own kind of personal, you know, uh, journey as an athlete, uh, you know, like, what, where did it all started? I mean, you're born like uh, January 13, 1982. So when is this like to, you know, thought of becoming an athlete and, you know, uh, like wrestling in general became kind of thought of yours? Yeah, uh, well, let me go way back then to when I was... Uh... A, a small boy in a small town in uh, North Wales in the UK. So you're in you're in Ireland, not too far from where you are. Tiny little town, probably only 200 people live there. Um, I worked for my dad for a while as a um, a carpenter and an undertaker, believe it or not, because my dad was a, my dad was an undertaker, my granddad was an undertaker, my great granddad was an undertaker. So it was a family business. So I worked in that for a while, but it was a tiny little town and. I always played sports growing up, any kind of sports, you know, cricket, golf, tennis, rugby, um, soccer was the main one, football, sorry, I'm in the US, so <laughs> I say soccer too much, but football, you know, play any sports that I could, um, and it, football was the main one, and I, I played it till I was 18, 19, and I blew up my knee one year, and I just loved training, I absolutely loved, but I would run for miles, and I was tall, but I wasn't that big, so then I blew my knee and couldn't really play football anymore, so I went to the gym, started building up my physique, was, you know, was in the gym on a Saturday night when everyone else was in the pub, so I was like, well, I'm building this physique here, and I'm dedicating my life to it, you know, because I love it, and I enjoy it, maybe I should try and push it further you know do something else with it right because i'm putting in all this time right i'm acting like a professional in some degree so maybe i should try and do something with it so i was like i had no interest in being doing any kind of bodybuilding it never ever appealed to me not that i have anything against it I, i'm a fan of bodybuilding and I have friends who do bodybuilding always watch bodybuilding but i had no interest in doing that myself so it's like what can i do what can i do and it just so happened at that time that I watched some wrestling on TV, I think. I saw some wrestling on TV and I wasn't really watching it growing up, but I saw it, I was like, so these big jacked guys and I was like, ah, I've been an athlete all my life. It looks like I can probably do that. It doesn't look that hard, right? That's what I thought at the time, right? I would find out later that that wasn't necessarily the case. So I started going, to, trying to find where I could go wrestling, you know, but there wasn't that much internet. This was probably 14 years ago. So... What is that? Two two thousand and two thousand and six. I don't know how big the internet was there, but it wasn't a whole lot of access. Of you know, now you can find a wrestling school, places to go, shows and stuff like that. But it wasn't such a big deal. So it just so happened as well. And just talk about coincidence and being in the right place at the right time of all this stuff. There was a wrestling show coming to my small little town. So it's a town of like two hundred people, and the wrestling show comes there. It's pretty rare, you know. Maybe once a year, maybe not even. But the timing was just right. So I went to the show with the intention of trying to meet someone and start wrestling. So I met this wrestling promoter there. Um, and he, you know, we, we hit it off. We started talking and he started teaching me how to wrestle. He was a, 
60-year-old man, you know, who'd been wrestling his whole life and had promoting shows. So I started wrestling for him, did wrestling shows all over the UK, did a lot in Ireland, as I was mentioning earlier. We used to do two-week trips all over Ireland. We used to have a lot of fun with that. And then one day, it just so happened that I was in London and I went to the O2 Arena where the WWE was, and they just they signed me that day and I ended up going to to Florida, um, <laughs> probably about six months later to Tampa, Florida, a little different to my home, little hometown. And yeah, just from there, just blew up, just wrestled, you know, in the training school for about a year and then went on TV, was on TV for about two years, did some pay-per-views, like you mentioned, wrestled some big names. And from there, that finished. And then somehow I got a connection with Cirque du Soleil. I didn't really know too much about the company then, to be honest. We obviously since I've learned a lot, but at that time they were holding an audition because they were, had a, a role to fill and they were looking like for a wrestler type person to fill it. They thought that would be a good fit. Just got the audition through luck. Everything worked out and got the gig and ended up moving to Vegas pretty quickly after that. So yeah, and now I'm living in sunny Las Vegas as opposed to rainy North Wales. Or rainy Ireland. Yes. Yeah. Yes, here you go. So I mean, I mean, there's more more to story than that because, uh, and I would love to take uh, take uh, some parts uh, away and and maybe to discuss you know that in detail because I mean it's, I mean you you know you don't come across a lot of people like yourself on a day to day basis where they're like professional athletes uh, you know on the level like you you are. So one question that I wanted to ask you again, you you your debut was 2007, right? Uh, no, 2011. 2011. Okay, got it. So, so, the, so, so the Wikipedia says it wrong. So make sure. It's yeah, I never believe Wikipedia. <laughs> somebody, somebody has to fix this. So, <laughs> and your first, uh, I remember, uh, like debut. What was with the like the John Cena was there, and I think you became a part of like the Nexus team. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. So it was crazy. So about a, a year after I got to to Tampa, Florida, I'd been traveling to to TV because they film TV every Monday and Tuesday. One is live, what is one is recorded. But if they, if they, when they have an idea, so what they do is they have all these t t uh, wrestlers in this training school and they try and build up a pool of people that are ready. So whenever they need a certain person for a certain type of position in the show, you know, they can use that person. So they have a, a pool of guys ready to go that they can use for whatever, what, whatever events of the creative team decides. So I guess they decided that they wanted to do something with me. So I was, they were bringing me to TVs and I was going to some live events and stuff like that. So I was traveling for a while, but you know, you never know what's going to happen. And I remember that day was a Monday. It was on from, from Monday Night Raw. And it was three or four o'clock in the afternoon. You get there at two and they start filming because it's live. They start filming around six. So you're there, you, you know, you, you talk with, talk, you know, you kind of get used to the arena and warm up and do whatever, sometimes work out. And the, the whole time the creative team is building the show for the night and it changes all the time. It's crazy. You think they'd have this a week out almost, right, this show, but they're literally, as, as it's counting down to the show time, they're coming up with a creative for the show. It's crazy. It's, I don't know how they do it. And it happened every week and it always came together. It was amazing. So it gets about three or four o'clock in the afternoon and I'm just chilling, you know, because I don't expect to do anything because I've been for the past, I don't know, three or four weeks, you know, I just don't expect them then. Someone, there's someone, one of my friends says, hey, are you doing something tonight? I said, oh, I don't think so. Oh, that's not what I heard. So I go find someone from the creative team and they say, yeah, <laughs> tonight you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to do this. You're going to be involved in the main event. You're going to join this Nexus team. There's a, like a, a team, a gang or whatever you want to call them. That was kind of well known. CM Punk, for any wrestling fan, CM Punk was the head of that. Mm -hmm. And you're going to interfere with their main match and the, on the Monday Night Raw, they're, they're going to go out um, with like the focus on you, like the show is going to go out there. And the last, the, the main event and the last part of the show is always the most watched. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. You know, it's kind of like you don't get any preparation. You're like, all right, in three or four hours, I've got to do this. And I had to jump the fence and then jump on the ring. And like, when you start thinking about it, you know, you're like, oh, I hope I don't slip. I hope I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, this doesn't go wrong, or I don't trip, or blah blah I'll, blah. I'll look at, I'll look at the right camera. Yeah, exactly, and that's yeah, that's something. Yeah, that's yeah. something that you know is very important because it's yeah. all about that shot, getting that shot. Mm -hmm. So it came around, but obviously, when it happens, you don't get a chance to think about it. When you go to do it, you just do it, right? It's just the worst is beforehand is thinking, what do I need to do? So yeah, I did that. Interviewed in the main match, kicked CM Punk in the head because it was part of the storyline. Did something to John Cena. 
and then we were all standing in line and the focus went out on, on me at the end of the thing so it was pretty mad because you think there's at the time there was probably five million people watching um every monday night at the time so it was like it was it was the peak probably it's still it still is the peak i mean i'm sure there's millions of people watching but at that time because i remember you know when i was i mean back in the day like we're talking like 2011 so that's like nine years ago I mean, there was a ton of attention, and I'm sure there's a ton, to, a ton of attention going out. But there's a lot of people who are growing up now, like all that type of generation. They're growing up, they're doing different things, have families and businesses, and all these things. And now the younger generation, maybe they're not that involved. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah. like, it, it was very intense. I remember the the time, and I, I remember before we did that interview, I just went back to the video, like your your debut day in uh, 2011. I watched it. I was like, man, there's some good times and good memories. So, so thanks. For yeah, it was, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty cool to look back. You know, you don't yeah. necessarily always take the time to reflect, but it was it was pretty cool, especially when you have you're talking, you're in a, an arena full of I don't know, twelve, fifteen, seventeen thousand people. I don't know. I have no what, idea. What is what is the feeling like? Can you describe to us because not everybody of us can expect that type of you know where there's like. 15 people you have 15 people like 30 30,000 eyes basically watching you like intensely so what is that what is that experience like it's it's not that different really because you're you're thinking more about what you've got to do right it's like that kind of tunnel vision so you don't i didn't i have no recollection about the crowd whatsoever i came through the crowd so i kind of remember that but Everything else, I, I don't really, because you're so focused on what you're doing. And I was obviously a little bit nervous, right? You want to, you know, this is pretty big, right? This is a pretty big thing. So you want to make sure that you do it right. So mm -hmm. um, I, I can't really remember the crowd. Not that time. The, the only real time I really remember the crowd on a, on a TV show was a pay-per-view that we did. It was the Royal Rumble. I don't know if any of the viewers know what the Royal Rumble is, but it's a pretty big pay-per-view event, probably one of the the biggest ones and um, we were in the ring that me and my gang the team whatever you want to call us the neck it was called the new nexus um and booker t one, a, a famous legendary wrestler mm -hmm. came out and people didn't know that he was going to be at, the, at that royal rumble and i remember because we had time in the ring to stand there there was nothing to be done except wait for him to come to the ring and obviously he was going to take his time and so when he came out and his music hit i remember standing there and seeing 20,000 people just go ballistic and like that was really cool that was like for the crowd that was probably one of the, the highlights for the crowd yeah it was pretty amazing beautiful beautiful awesome awesome so I kind of kind of imagine that also so can you <laughs> can you kind of if you don't mind me asking a little bit more questions about that because again there are some things that I think personally again because you know I'm a little bit selfish so like I want to know but at the same time I know the audience who's watching they they would like to know either like these details because as I said we don't come across people like yourself on a day-to-day -day basis and I, I really appreciate your time today you know spending this this time with me so oh, uh, pleasure, pleasure. The, the question is when it comes to the ring names, you know, can you talk about that? How important is that to the entire like character and like how do you pick those? Because I mean, I'm looking. You you got a few here. Yeah, it's um, that was always challenging for me a little bit because I'm not necessarily the most creative pe person in the world, right? So some people they, you know, they, they can dream up all these names. But uh, when I started in the UK, you know, I was having trouble coming up with a name and. My promoter, who was crazy, I, you know, he, he was, he was, I loved him. He was such a character, but he had, he had an idea of all these crazy names and I couldn't come up with a name. So I started with a Celtic warrior because being Celtic, you know, I thought the Welsh warrior, but then I was like, ah, oh, Celtic warrior sounds cool. So I came up with a Celtic warrior. So that's what I started with. And then I think that's what I pretty much stuck with, with throughout my time in the UK. And then I got to the US and obviously you're not going to use the same name there and you've got to kind of come up with something different. So what happened was when I, because <clears throat> my name was Mason Ryan, right? It's nothing like Ultimate Warrior or Hulk Hogan or Macho Man Randy Savage or anything. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. Jake the Snake. It's nothing like that, right? But what happened was when I was there in 2011, um, UFC was really picking up and UFC was a lot more popular than WWE. I don't know if that's still the case. Might be. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But it was really, you know, winning that battle and WWE was kind of in a battle with them because they obviously were trying to get as many viewers, you know? So... Yeah they were trying to go kind of the same route, right? It's, it's not real, but they were trying to go for more realistic stuff in the ring as well. Not so much wrestling type stuff, if that makes sense, you know? 
Um, so along with that, they wanted more real names, you know, people in the, in the UFC, for the most part, they have real names, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, John Jones or, you know, you know, whatever. I can't think of any other, but all the, all the names that are in there, right? They're, they're real names, they're real people's names, right? So they were going that, so you want, they wanted you to have a kind of a real name. So I came up with Mason Ryan. I came, I was having all, I used to, I put in a ton of names. I tried a ton of names. And the reason I came up with Mason Ryan was pure, like a pure stupid thing. It was like, I have a friend called James Mason and Ryan Ambrose. And because I, I put in a list of names and they, they checked and no, we don't like these. Or you've got to put it through legal to make sure it's not copyrighted or whatever. Cause the last thing they want is to get a name and then blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They can't copyright it. So I was like, I'm tired of coming up with names. I think I gave a second page of names that came back. I was like, wow. all right, put a third page of names, put the, put the names down. And then at the end, I was like, let me just put something stupid down here. It's just like, not stupid, but like messing around, right? So I was like, I was like wouldn't it be funny if I could use both my friends' names and I would, I would be on TV using their names? Wouldn't that be so funny? <laughs> Thinking that it would never, ever, you know, pass. Well, the following weeks, among the, the person that was handling this was like, hey, you know, you've got your name now, right? I was like, oh, what is it? Is it this? Is it that? Is it? No, it's uh, Mason Ryan. I was like, oh, Okay. So I had to tell my friends, and to this day, they're trying to get some royalty fees out of me, but I'm, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, so because it's they, they, they kind of you, you come up with a name, but they kind of pick, and sometimes they'll tweak it. So a lot of times, guys, when they're in the developmental school, they'll have a name that they've used, and blah blah blah. And then as you're going up to, to debut on TV, then so whoever the creative team will change that name. Mm-hmm. So like one of the famous, um, most famous wrestlers now is a guy called Roman Reigns, and when he when he when he was in the training school, his name was Roman Liaki, I think. So and then as he as he was getting ready to debut, they changed it to Roman Reigns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think the first version would would have worked. You know, Liaki. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, he's um, eh. he's Samoan, so I think Liaki was uh, something to his heritage. I think I'm guessing. I think. Yeah. But yeah, your own brains is way better without doubt. <laughs> yeah, because it's a show. At the end of the day, look, it, it, it is a, like a lot of it is a show. Like, I, I don't like the fact that people are saying like, oh, like you, you get those, you come across those people saying, oh, like WWE is kind of fake. I mean, you cannot fake a jump like from the ladder when it's like four meters or five meters high, like on a, onto another person. And especially when you weight like 140 kilograms, how are you going to fake that? So, yeah. but but a lot of it is kind of because... I want to kind of go to that little bit direction because I know that you're, I love Wikipedia, so I can come up with all these great questions. For people to find out. So, Wikipedia is dangerous. <laughs> so you can tell us if it's the truth or not, because I'm looking yeah. at that you've been on a Gladiator show. That's mm-hmm. like 2009 where you've been, uh, you, you, you've been as a character called Golia. So Goliath yeah. Goliath, yeah, sorry. So can you talk about that? I mean, how did you came across the show and how was that opportunity showed up for you? Um, yeah, the, the, I think, yeah, I think it was 2009. So what happened was I was wrestling for this promoter. He was, he was, he was a mentor, not just a promoter. He became a mentor to me. And I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't, it wasn't for him. He was amazing. His, his name was Ari Williams. Um, but he, we were doing shows all over the UK and Wales and Ireland and going, you know, traveling a little bit to Europe and stuff like that. So I was kind of really close with him and he was, he was getting me onto TV shows in Wales and I was doing some, you know, shows like that. And we spoke to someone one day about being on some TV show in Wales. And at the end of the call, they were like, yeah, cool. We'll, we'll get you on the show, blah, blah, blah. And they said, you know that they're filming a new version of gladiators and they're actually looking for gladiators. And, my, and we were like, really? It's like, yeah. Have you thought about applying? I was like, wow. Well, never heard of it, but yes, I would love to apply. So he calls back five minutes later. Hey, here's the contact details. So we, my mentor, he was he could sell sand to the Arabs or ice to the Eskimos, right? He was that kind of guy. So he calls him up and he's like, "Yes," and he had a big, strong Welsh accent. He's like, "Yes, there, I've got this big Welsh guy, and he's six foot six and twenty stone, and looks like a Greek god." And he was selling me or whatever. So they said yes and. Send us the send us the stuff. Send us um, your picture, your bio, whatever, and we'll take a look. So they called back a week later and said, "Yeah, we're really interested." But I was clean shaven at the time, and they were like, um, "How quickly can you grow a beard? We, you, we want you to have a beard. We think this character should have a beard that we have you in mind for." I was like, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks. I'm like, oh, 
okay, we're thinking about having an audition in the week. So then my promoter I, I told you what a character was. He started trying to find how to stick on a beard, like stick it on with glue and patches. Can you imagine this idea? And he was <laughs> calling up all these people trying to figure out how to stick on this beard. Luckily enough, the, the auditions ended up being in like six or seven weeks. So I was able to grow a beard and I had a full beard. Went to do the audition with, I don't know, it was probably a hundred other guys. And you're there and you're like, everyone else, when you, for me, anyway, this is my, I was like, well, all these guys look big, they're strong, blah, 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 the characters. I was like, oh, I don't know if I got this. I, you know, I would love to get it. And then it was probably a few months later and I just got a call and they were like, hey, you, you've got the gig. We're, we're going to have you as one of the gladiators. We're going to call you Gladiator Goliath. And I was like jumping around the place like you couldn't believe it, you know, because it's, even though I was wrestling at the time, it was, you know, in front of 200 people or less most, most of the time. So it was a very small scale. But this was going to be on national TV, you know, and I watched the show growing up. So it was a big deal. So I got the gig, went down to London. We were in London for six weeks, just outside of London in what's called the Sherwood Studios is where James Bond um, is filmed. So they're pretty, pretty legit studios. Um, and this massive, massive warehouse place where they built all this set and this, we did all these cool stuff. And it was, it was really cool because it was just basically go and have fun for six weeks. You know, we did two weeks of training and then four weeks of filming. And uh, we would just do these fun games where you compete against. I don't know if you're familiar with the show, or if you if you if your listeners and viewers are, but it's basically they have these gladiators, so they're the main guys, and then you have these and usually big, strong, you know, <laughs> athletic guys, and they have much smaller competitors who go against them in certain games. Yeah, and then the winner, you know, the winner obviously wins. Um, so we would do you just play these games against these guys for um about four weeks so it was such an amazing experience and obviously it helped as well with my wwe career going i suppose being in front of a camera being used to that you know knowing how to interact where to look what to do kind of stuff that helped a lot um, but yeah it was such a cool experience actually well it's it sounds like a cool experience you can play (laughs) around i mean have fun at the same time while you're getting paid and you know being in front of the people on national tv so i mean Uh it sounds quite quite fun have you ever explored like is that is that where it ended for you? I mean, or have you been on other shows after when it comes to the, like TV? No, not not really. I, I did some Welsh TV because I speak Welsh. We have our own language in in Wales. I did some Welsh TV stuff, but it's it's pretty small because it's a small audience. There's only three million people in all of Wales, and maybe a third of that speak Welsh, so it's a small audience. So, um, <clears throat> apart from WWE, that's that's all I kind of kind of done in TV. I did did, did explore the idea of. Um, acting after my WWE career ended, but I got got the job with Cirque du Soleil, so that kind of I didn't last too long after that. Okay, because that's interesting. Because you know, one of the people, you know, The Rock. Yeah, like, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he he started like his movie career, and he, I mean, it blew up from there. And uh, maybe you know the movie; it's called uh, Fighting with My Family. Yeah, yeah, I know this. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. the family. So, so, and the funny thing is, I mean, you're from UK, so why not you being again w- with your UK accent? Why? Because I mean, he been, he he got the place in the movie. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so that's what, have yeah. You ever- I, I thought I thought about it. It was just um, Cirque, Cirque du Soleil came up at the time, and I would, you know, it was a great job. So at the time, and with Cirque, we we work or we did work five days a week, you know, uh, eight hour days. So it's. And we do, we work a lot, you know, a lot, we get, well, we get four weeks off a year, but it's still the rest of the time it's go, 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 you know, so there wasn't real time to be doing auditions and to be doing other stuff and to be taken from, and I loved, I love, I love working for Cirque du Soleil. So I was like, all right, you know, I found something that I'm comfortable with, I like, and I would be crazy to give this up to pursue acting, right, which could have worked out, who knows, right, but Hey. I was, I was, I wasn't still pretty And it's not that it's too late necessarily. I'm 38. So it's not that I'm past it or anything, I guess, but, um, you know, I think I have other focuses and I think it kind of worked out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking to do. I'm just looking to, to light the, light the light back up again, a little bit, you know, <laughs> just a little bit, tiny little bit. You, be my age. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, I mean, it's awesome. It, it, there's, there's definitely opportunities for people like yourself and you've been on the show. So why, why stop there? Cause again, if, if you, if we just look at the, what rock has been accomplished, I mean, and, and there's, I'm sure there's more examples just like him who, and I mean, cause you got used to the stage to the, like the entire game. So it's kind of, so I, I think you have a lot of kind of 
traits that would be great at you know like tv shows or whatever that might be and i mean you have this kind of asset and of course we're going to talk about real estate but one of the assets is again your like tv presence and the things that you can do so like why waste it you know yeah yeah maybe maybe we'll, we'll see we'll see but there's also i'm also like you mentioned that pretty focused on real estate you know because mm -hmm. the thing with acting to some extent there's not there's no certainty right that's what i'm finding out with being in the entertainment industry and that's i'll get to that later with why i'm, I'm such a big fan of real estate um you know having a wife and a, and a, and a one-year-old son now especially it changes things you know you know when it's just me and my wife or even a single guy you can kind of go and wonder and do what it is right you have no responsibilities but you know i, I have a responsibility to provide a roof and clothes and food and shelter or whatever for my son now and it kind of changes things a little bit right so um the thing with acting is is the uncertainty right and this you know even though i have those experiences you know it's always going to be super competitive it's not like i'm going to be the only guy that has those experiences and has yeah. you know that's you know six and six and two 280 pounds or whatever right there's there's not that many but there are other people out there that's that, that fits that category so it's yeah, yeah, I, don't know, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. So, so talking to transitioning to the real estate I, again, I do understand uh, part of the reasons because I know there's a lot of like baseball players because in some uh, in some sport like uh, like it's baseball, basketball. You know, it's just like you already know how many like football. You already know it's going to be five, ten years, or you know your career is going to be about that like time frame, and that's it. So they're kind of looking from different ways to to kind of continue to generate that income. And, and one of the ways is, of course, is real estate. But what was your kind of initial thought or maybe you came across some people or there was kind of an event that influenced you to pursue the real estate investing journey? Yeah, this is a question I always ask people in general about real estate. How do you find real estate, right? Because not everyone mm -hmm. finds real estate. And even if they find it, they don't necessarily go for it because they have a bunch of excuses and reasons why they can't go for it, right? But um, for me, and I think for a lot of athletes to some extent, and I wasn't, a lot of athletes, unfortunately, they get drawn into spending all their money, right? How, you know, what is it? I don't know. I heard a crazy stat of like something like 80% of all NFL players, once they finish their career in two or three, two or three years later, they're broke and they're making crazy. crazy. I wasn't, crazy. I was not making NFL money. I wish I was right. <laughs> I, I would have been fine. But um, for me, and, and I, I was always okay with money. I, I didn't spend it like crazy, but I didn't invest it either. But for me, I had no plan B. I had zero plan B, right? I just had a plan A, which was I was going to be the world heavyweight champion. And I thoroughly believe and I had that focus and I worked hard and I was committed to it, towards it. And people talked to me and they would talk to a lot of the wrestlers about having that plan B and having an alternative um, idea of what you're going to do with your life. But me, no. My plan A was be world heavyweight champion. My plan B was be world heavyweight champion. My plan C was be world heavyweight champion, right? Nothing else really mattered to me because... I was focused on that and you couldn't tell me otherwise, right? And I didn't really, I wasn't arrogant with it. I just had that belief in myself and I didn't tell people, I wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm going to be the world heavyweight champion. I just believed it in my head. I thoroughly believed it. And it wasn't coming from a place of arrogance. It really wasn't. Hopefully that doesn't sound arrogant to you, to your listeners, but I just believed it. And I had a trajectory that kind of was going that way, to be honest, it really was heading that way. And whatever, for whatever reason, it didn't quite work out timing, injuries some other stuff right it just didn't work out right and that can happen to anyone and i so what happened the the real defining moment was in january of 2014 i bought a house for 430,000 right expensive house had that mortgage which was 2600 a month 2600 a month which i could afford at the time because i was still making pretty decent money in wwe but i bought it as a house to live in i liked the house didn't think of investment whatsoever really I kind of thought maybe it might be worth more in the future, but that's about it, right? I like the I like the color of the walls. I like the kitchen. You know, not not the investment didn't fit an investment strategy. And in March, April of that year, they didn't renew my WWE contract. So now, here's a guy who has no education really to some extent, right? It's not that I was illiterate or anything like that, but I have nothing to fall back on. I can't go do something else because. All my life, I focused on being a wrestler, physique, you know, fitness, everything like that. And I guess it, it could have gone in that field, but I had no plan B. I had nothing to fall back on. And I've got this $2,600 a month mortgage payment to a house that I just moved into that I didn't want to sell because it was bad enough that my dream came to an end. 
but I didn't want to sell this house that I loved either because that would have been a double whammy, right? It would have been, mm. you know, I can control that. I can control not selling this house. I couldn't control them not renewing my contract. So it's at a point, so it's like, I need to keep this house because otherwise it'll mentally really break me, right? So I was like, so I started looking into it, renting, how to find out how to find a renter, how do you, you know, screen a tenant, all this stuff. And it's me down that rabbit hole of real estate investing and what you could do and you could buy and do all this stuff right that we might get into later but i was by that when i was like i was like wow this is amazing i can do this and like create a lifestyle for myself and stuff like that so that's what really um led me down the path and i don't know if you probably speak to most people right rich dad poor that is you know yeah. the universal <laughs> book that everyone seems to read and reference but it's amazing that that read that book there's a there's a website of uh, a website called bigger Fo bigger pockets it's kind of a rest, uh, real estate forum as well I kind of dived into that and just yeah just realized that i wanted to invest in real estate as a, a plan b and then i got my job with Cirque du Soleil maybe a year later so i knew that i could do Cirque du Soleil and do some real estate investing on the side got it got it so kind of you know transition turned out to be like you know like you find yourself in, in the time when the contract is not renewed and you're like whoa what am i gonna do next and kind of in that time where there was like uncertainty and i think a lot of people can relate during these times you found that there is opportunity hidden and that you know kind of uncertainty so that that's kind of awesome you know the way you discovered it but yeah if we talk about the deals itself i mean like what type of deals are you currently looking for uh, well, so initially, like most people, like a lot of people, right, it's the single family, right? You just, you don't realize what's out there to start. So even though I found real estate investing, I didn't completely understand it, right? I just you buy a property through an agent on the MLS, which is the multiple listing source, which is here. It's just where you, they're all listed, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how you do it, right? You put 20% down, you use a bank financing and you do it like that. And then when you have money to buy another one, you can do that again, right? So I, my goal, and, and I, Luckily, I had some people talk to me and I said, hey, what is, figure out what your goal is, what your, what your number is, how much you need to live off every month. And I think mine was 8,000 or something like that, 8,000 a month. Um, I, would, I was like, okay, that, that, I can live pretty comfortably off that. And then, so how many houses do you need that? Well, if each house cash flows $200, I need eight houses, right? $200 at, um, no, four, sorry, I would need uh 40 houses right i'm i'm confusing my math I, whatever the math is right <laughs> all that but i'm a wrestler for a reason <laughs> whatever the math whatever the math is i needed 40 single family homes that's what i figured out i needed 40 single family homes which would mean every time you buy a house you don't just look at one house and buy it very often right you're going to look at 10 20 30 houses then you're going to have to negotiate then you're going to have to get bank financing and everyone else like and then I need to save down the down payment for every single one of them. And it's like, this is going to take forever. But I was like, okay, maybe 10 years time, I'll be able to do that. Like most people that, you know, think that's all available. Well, one day I was introduced to someone who talked about multifamily, about buying apartment complexes. And I told him, hey, I thought I was so clever. Hey, I figured out my goal. This is what I need to do. Four houses a year for 10 years. I'll be there. I can do this, blah, blah, blah get that financial freedom number um well it's like yeah hey good that you have your goals good that you have it figured out but do you realize if you buy one um apartment complex with 40 um 40 doors you're there in one transaction and you don't have to do all these other transactions mm -hmm. plus with apartments a lot of times you can use other people's money you can pull other people's money together and kind of use that for the down payment and any renovation work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. So my fo focus in then I've sold all my single family homes. My focus now is on apartments. So buying, buying smaller apartments to start off with and then transitioning into syndication. So I currently own one six unit. So it's a small six, six apartment unit um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, that I'm looking to transition and, and do it what they call 1031 into something. Mm -hmm. as i reposition that property and create create um a lot of value 1031 into something that's probably 20 units or bigger and then at the same time i'm looking at 20 to 50 units um to buy myself with either my money or partner with some other people and then the goal is once i've had the experience with those and i've created that track record and i know you know better what i'm doing to some extent on those to, to transition into doing larger syndications Got it. Got it. So very interesting. I mean, came across the single family and came across the person 
shout out to the person who said that you can acquire one deal yeah. and get the 40 doors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, that kind of saved you a lot of time and money, I think. I think so. And plus it, it's a lot more scalable. And I think, you know, yeah. with commercial real estate, commercial resident, you can make bigger numbers. It's bigger numbers to start off with, right? You're, you're usually talking millions rather than hundreds of thousands, but it also means that you're going to make, you know, 10% on 200,000 is 20,000, right? 10% on 2 million is 200,000, right? So it's, mm -hmm. I think you can get to your goals a lot quicker, right? If you can, for one, I think a lot of people, the problem a lot of people have is that mindset, right? Is that million dollar number, for example, right? And I know I, I had it to start off with, right? You hear that million dollar number, it's so intimidating. Like a million dollars, I'm going to buy a property for a million dollars. How is that possible? How can I do that? You know, there's all this stuff, right? But all you realize is the difference between a hundred thousand and a million is a few zeros at the back, yeah. right? That's all the difference is, right? So it's exactly it's, just, a, just a mindset. Yeah, absolutely 100 just a mindset 100 yeah so what what about the deals itself because again by the way it sounds that you're looking uh for deals out of state so have you looked on any deals in, in las vegas or, or that's not the market that you want to be in yeah so to backtrack a little bit yeah i started investing here in 2016 i bought my first first investment property here in 2016 and i still have the one in florida my I call an accidental landlord. I be accidentally became a landlord. I didn't plan to be a landlord, but I accidentally okay. became a landlord, right? And it, that, and it maybe, kind of maybe, worked, so. maybe, that, maybe that's a story that we want to hear also because uh, everybody will have to become an accidental, you know, landlord. <laughs> some additional cash flow. Yeah, well, there wasn't any cash flow, unfortunately. So what happened was this was a $2,600 mortgage and I was like, I need to get out. I can't be eating this. So I ended up taking someone for 2300 So I was making negative cash flow. The only thing was this tenant agreed there was... This house had, it was one story, but it had so many windows all around there. When I bought it, I didn't have any blinds. So it had so many windows and it was great because it had so light and you could see it was on a little like lagoon slash, slash lake. So you could see it and the view was beautiful, but to, to put all the blinds in would have cost a fortune, would have been probably $10,000. So the deal was he was going to go in for 2,300 a month and he was going to put blinds in all the, in all, I don't know. 20 or 30 windows, whatever. It was a ridiculous amount of windows. So he was going to do that. So I was negative cash flow for the first two years, technically, but I didn't have to pay for the blinds. So, which I wouldn't recommend for anyone, definitely. But I didn't want to lose the house. No, it was for the first year, sorry. For the first year, he would pay 2,300 and put in the blinds. And then the second year, he would go up to what, what my mortgage was. He would just match my mortgage for that. So then I did that. So I was losing money on the property, but I didn't want to lose the property and it was a great property and I assumed it was going to go up into, in value over time. So I thought, okay, I can hold on to this, you know, $300 negative cash flow a month. And I, again, I don't recommend that to anyone, but luckily I had some cash in the bank that I'd saved that, you know, I could float and I was doing some other wrestling stuff to keep, to keep paying that. So that, that one was not a good investment, but, you know, I held on to it and, you know, it was, it, the experience was worth it. Then I started buying single families here in Las Vegas and I rented when I first got here because I didn't know how long, I'm, how long am I going to be here. I'm moving from the other side of the country here to a job that I don't know and understand yet. You know, what happens after a year if I buy a house and I, you know, I have to move or whatever, right? That's, that was my theory. Now I would do it differently. I would bought a house straight away, but... Um, you know, I bought an investment property before I actually bought a primary residence here before a house to live in. So I bought um, a single family home. I bought it for 173. It was a foreclosure, put 10,000 into it for 183. And then I had someone renting it for 1250 or 12, yeah, 1250. So, which, you know, the cash flowed about two or 300 a month. And it, because by the time I fixed it up, it didn't have much repairs and maintenance and stuff to do with it you know it kind of just ran itself once i had a tenant in there so i did that and then probably six months later i bought a house to live in a primary residence um which was it's great here i don't know who your audience is if it's uk or us but you can get in with 10 percent or five percent or even three and a half percent down you don't have to put that 20 percent mm -hmm. down so i bought it was another foreclosure um bought it for 234 um and Put a little bit in it, but not a lot. We lived in it was in a great area. So I had these properties and the idea was to turn that into a, a rental as well. But like I said, I met this guy and he he told me apartment complex and I was like, okay, I don't want to focus anymore on, um, on single family homes. 
And the whole time the market's hot here in Vegas, it's, Vegas goes like this. It goes up and down and up and down, right? It's boom or bust. And luckily it was going up. So just through nothing else but pure luck, these properties were going up in value. So I was like, okay, I can make some money on these. So uh, last year I sold both. Was it last year? Yeah, it was last year I sold both. So I sold the first one that I bought. I bought for 173, put 183 in and sold it for 237. So not bad, not not a not a bad little profit. And the other one I bought for two thirty four, put about five thousand in and sold for three oh seven. So some, you know, some. not not a bad but bad little deal. But the idea was I wanted to sell also because I wanted to be in multifamily. So yeah. the start of this year I bought a six unit in Cincinnati because what what happened was like I told you the Mac. So it was great when it was going up and I owned properties. But when you buy, you don't want to buy you know near the top or when it's really going up because you know especially here in Vegas, right? It's going to go like this. So it's for me anyway. So with multifamily as well, it's valued on the income approach, right? It's valued on what the expense, the income minus the expenses, which creates what is known as the NOI, mm -hmm. that divided by what is known as a cap rate. That's how the value is derived. Mm -hmm. So I wanted somewhere where it was a lot more stable. You know, I knew if I can control the income and the expenses and in, increase the income lower the expenses i could increase the value because it's based on that and as long as the market's doing this i know i can do that right i can in increase those things so i wanted a lot more stable market and cincinnati is one of those markets right it doesn't really go up that much but it doesn't really go down that much either so it was a lot more stable so i picked up cincinnati which is in the midwest here um so i i i went there <laughs> which is crazy because it's two flights away from me which is can be a bit of a pain in the ass but it's a really stable market. I actually like the market. They've got some job diversification. There's some population growth there. There's some job growth there. I mean, it's um, it's a city that rents a lot. A lot of people. I don't know as a percentage what it is, but there's a lot of renters there. So, mm. you know, you're always going to have a pool of renters there. Yeah. So I bought this six units in January of this year. I bought it for three hundred thousand. Um, all six units needed renovating. It was a bit of a mess, um, a little bit, but that's where you get value. And I'm hoping once I've turned all the tenants and renovated all the units, it's going to be worth 600000 because there's a, a property down the street that's just selling that's probably not as nice as mine and doesn't have as higher rents. That's trying to sell for 600000 and they're probably going to get it. So mm. that's where so, I am with that. Yeah. yeah I, have so, I have so many questions right now. <laughs> While we're talking, like my mind just blows and I'm like, oh, where do we start? Uh, again, I know we have kind of limited time, but there's a few questions that I wanted to ask you. First of all, uh, like what type of states have you came across? Because like when it comes to making decision making process, how do you have you decided to invest in Cincinnati? Of course, because, you know, as, as multifamily operators, there's a lot of people looking, you know, southeast, southwest because of the baby boomer trend. So, but why Cincinnati in particular? Because people talking about Georgia, you know, uh, uh, Florida and, you know, uh, Arizona. So all these different states. So why Cincinnati in particular? Yeah, there's, and there's a lot of good states. And truthfully, there might be a, a better state actually um, to invest in, like you said, Arizona, the Carolinas, right? Um, North South Carolina is a super hot market. You know, Georgia, especially Atlanta, you know, you have Florida, which is, is really, really hot. Texas, of course, um, which is very popular as well. What happened was I had a real estate coach. So I had a, so when I transitioned into multifamily, I started listening to podcasts, learning all this stuff. And the more I researched, the more I realized, my goodness, there's a lot that can go wrong here, right? There's a lot that can, you know, come back to bite me, right? If I don't know it, right? You're never going to know anything, right? Even if you have a coach, you're never going to know anything. But if, at least if I know the main things that can hurt me and have someone watching over my shoulder as well. That can be huge. So I hired a coach. So obviously we were talking about picking markets because I told, I, he said, look at that Vegas stuff. And I looked in Vegas and it just was so ridiculous here, especially for multifamily. Because what happens here in, in Vegas is people from California come over because California is even twice, twice as expensive. So they can buy a property here at, you know, that gets a five or 6% return and they're over the moon with it. Right. Whereas in California, if they get a two or 3% return, they're excited, right? <laughs> that might be a good return in California. So they, they come up here and they, they push up the market, they push up the prices and they, um, they make everything overvalued here. So I was like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. I don't want to spend all this money and get a 5% return here in Vegas, right? When I know there's other better markets out there. So I was telling him this, he's like, well, 
okay, well, what are you looking for? I said, well, I'm looking for stability. That's the main thing I want, you know? I don't care if it doesn't go up that much, but I don't want it to go down that much. So he said, well, I'm, I live in Cincinnati. So his name is Joe Fearless. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he's a big time real estate syndicator. He, owns, he controls over a billion dollars worth of real estate now, I think yeah. so. Successful guy, cool guy, same around my age, actually, which kind of really annoys me. <laughs> like he's my age and he's having all this success. It makes me look bad. But um, he said, have a look in Cincinnati. I live here. I think it's a solid market. I don't necessarily invest here, but for what you're looking, it might be a good fit. So I you know, looked at the job growth, look at the population growth, look at the job diversity, looked at um, some other, other key metrics and thought, yeah, this is a stable market. So I flew out there, met with some brokers and kind of you know, toured the city, drive around the city. And I was like, I like the city. It's not too big, but it's not too small. And, you know, it's, it's got that cool vibe about it. And what, what, with Cincinnati, a lot of times people might not necessarily migrate there, but they don't leave. A lot of people don't leave Cincinnati. And, you know, a lot of people that, you know, they actually go back there. They might leave the college and stuff like that. So it doesn't have that population um, drop. You know, it always mm -hmm. kind of stays pretty stable. So that's how I ended up in Cincinnati. Now, with hindsight, I might not pick Cincinnati for one simple reason, and that is it's two flights there. So for some, for people listening, you know, that the ease of travel is huge. So every time I go there, I have to fly usually to, to, to Atlanta and then to Cincinnati, which, you know, adds, you know, it's a four-hour flight to Atlanta, and then you're talking a two-hour layover, and then an hour and a half flight. So it's it kind of takes all day to get there, and it kind of hinders me you know sometimes like oh, do i really want to go to cincinnati this weekend you know and i always go because i need to go you know but yeah. it's uh, that's one thing i would tell anyone who's listening if you're picking a different market yes look at all the metrics that you need to look at of course but try and pick somewhere that you can fly to in one flight at least and if you can find somewhere that you can drive to even better yeah. right because if i could drive there that'd be even better but yeah try and pick somewhere that's only one flight now luckily for me my wife is a flight attendant um so i fly for free so that's, that's hey. a big plus so they might you know there might be some direct flights from here for vegas but yeah the ones that i have to fly with you know that i had to do a connection so that's how i picked cincinnati and it's, I, I like it i made some good connections um i have a team up there you know so at this point i, I don't think i would change because to learn the market another market again and it's not like i know cincinnati in and out yet but I, I know pretty decently and I've got a good connections. I have fellow investors, I have friends, I have con um, contractors, I have property manager, I have brokers that I talk to. So I have, you know, I have a lot of stuff going on there. So I'd be crazy to change at this point, I think. Got it, got it. So you kind of answered my question because the, the, what I wanted to ask you is like, you're planning about selling off the property, the, the six unit deal once you're going to be, you know, renovating it. So the question was kind of, are you planning to invest into other, you know, different states? But you kind of said no. So you're going to continue to look for, for deals in Cincinnati, at least. This yeah. Time. Yeah. I'm continuing to look now. Yeah, I was just looking at a 21 unit last night and then a 42 unit last week. Yeah. It's just tough now. We're, you know, I don't know when this interview is coming out, but it's October 8th now. And from what I'm seeing, there's no price price reductions. If anything, prices have, may have gone up slightly, especially in the mm -hmm. 20 to 50 unit, right? I think there's plenty of people out there that are buying. Um, interest rates are low, super, super low, you know, low as they've ever, ever been, I feel like. And there's just a lot of competition for multifamily right now because people, they don't want to be in retail. They don't want to be in office. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a lot more appealing, I think, to people that they can buy a property that you know, has 20 tenants in and day one, you're cash flowing, right? You're buying a business that day one cash flow. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen with office and retail, right? In the commercial space. So there's people coming in from that to, for that stability, right? I think, you know, it's not necessarily the most sexy kind of investment in the world, right? But it's very stable and it, you know, you, you know, done right, you can get great returns from it. So yeah, it's kind of tough to find deals. And, you know, I hate saying that because it just sounds like, you know, there's always deals, right? There's always, always, always deals. And that's more a reflection on me that I need to be doing more, but it, it definitely is harder to find deals right now. So definitely looking, if I can find the right deal, I definitely buy right now, but I'm also kind of cautious, very cautious. My underwriting has changed what, you know, I need a good story why that property will, um, you know, can, can weather a storm, can weather some sort of recession, you know, the, um, Tenant pool is important to me right now. Where do, where do the tenants work, right? If they all work at, 
chilies and hooters and you know service-based industry type jobs probably not a good investment because i feel like they're going to hit right but if there's stuff you know that they can work from home that you know tech type jobs you know i, I like that a little bit more um so yeah i'm definitely still looking in cincinnati i build the team so the problem with you know yes you can pick other markets but it takes time to to build a team i've you know the contractors that i have now they weren't the first contractors i have i've used right they were the second or third you know and they find them that they're, they're you know they're not the cheapest but but they're reliable and you know they work with the property managers so that i don't think they're going to you know do me over because they work they get a lot of work from the property manager that i use and obviously if they if they do anything they maybe shouldn't you know the property manager is not going to use so i have the team in place so it just makes sense at this point to, to invest in like i said i like the cincinnati market in general anyway so um you know i'd have to you know some people listening who you know might be new when you build broker relationships right that's you know there's other ways to find deals but that's how i like to find deals with through brokers and these brokers, they get a million people calling them every day, you know, and they, they're the ones that find the deals. So they call, contact all the owners. So they'll have deals that they don't put on what, you know, whatever service that there is. It's LoopNet that most people use here. Yeah. And it's, it's a service that they say deals where deals go to die, right? You can find yeah. deals and sometimes there are deals there, but it's usually where they say where deals go to die. So they're not the good deals. So to get those off-market deals that everyone's heard, right? It's a buzzword, right? Off-market, right? Mm. Is that, and just because it's off-market, remember that doesn't mean that it's a good deal. But to get those off-market deals, you have to build those relationships with a broker. Because if they just meet you for the first time, um, they're not going to be like, hey, mr jones or whatever it is right they're not gonna just give you that deal because they've worked hard to get that deal from that seller and if they find someone that is going to buy and then they go through the process and you know this guy can't close on that property well they look stupid to that owner right and they're gonna lose their reputation because as much as you're as a buyer you're trying to build credibility with brokers they have a credibility themselves that they have to maintain you know with yeah. with owners and with sellers so you have to build that relationship so to start somewhere else i'd have to restart that that process and it can be done for sure it can be done but i've you know we, we yeah with like for example one of the brokers I exchange christmas cards right i think i sent him a birthday gift or something like that we text you know once or twice a week you know and keeping pretty good contact you know he's kind kind of a friend at this point so to start that process over is going to take six months to you know mm -hmm. to nine months to probably get to where i am now so you have to restart that process relearn the market because it takes a while to relearn yes you can look at the figures on the screen but you've got to go to that market right you've got to understand you know talk to the people talk to the barmaids talk to the uber drivers you know and get to know the market so it, these things take time so to change yes maybe i could buy, find a better market that's one flight one flight away and that's um you know maybe hotter that has more population growth more job growth better job diversity and it's going to go maybe up more but you know you've got to also balance that out with your time and you know what are you actually trying to achieve Mm -hmm. Mm hmm got it got it so a lot of great information so you know thanks for sharing those great tips and, uh, it's just my opinion right it's not yeah i don't know well, if it's uh, necessary uh, again, again you have a great source of when it comes to the education you know like the the name that you mentioned i mean it, it gets around you know he he had the conference uh like last year so the name is really known like in the industry so so uh like it, it's no wonder that you're you know building the business successfully and taking the right steps to do so so but the one thing that i wanted to ask you because again the deals that you're currently having in the pipeline let's say if you're not going to come across any great deals that you will be able to you know 1031 or close on this year would you be investing in some of the deals as an lp or are you going to continue to look for the deals so i've already invested as a limited pattern in, okay. in one of joe's deal that, that was for a few reasons one i was sitting on some cash um which you know i'm not a big fan of and i'm still sitting on some cash right now which again i'm not a fan of but i think now more than ever it's it makes sense i'm not worried about inflation yet some people might think inflation but I, I think inflation seems from what little knowledge i have you know i'm listening to and reading stuff it seems that inflation might take some time to kick in and so i think if i'm holding on to cash for the next six to nine months it's okay it's not going to eat away at my money and it's worth it to have that dry powder ready when the deals i think hopefully will come along who knows mm -hmm. right um but i was sitting on cash so i invested as limited pattern in one of joe's deal it was a 450 unit deal and the reason I, I invested was two reasons. One, I wanted to see how he does things and how their company does stuff, right? So when you become a limited partner, you get their underwriting, you 
you see their webinars before they, you know, before they start raising money, you see all this stuff that they do and you learn from that. You learn how they did it, why they did it. Right? And then you get to see what, how they, um, how they handle investor relations, how they report this, their, their financials, how they handle distributions, how they, um, you know, what kind of monthly newsletter you get, you, you see all this stuff, right? And then during this pandemic also, I've seen how they handle stuff when things go wrong, right? And if I wasn't in this deal, I wouldn't have learned this. So I always say to people, if you're starting out, you, you don't necessarily need to get a mentor. I'm a fan of it. I think, you know, you can argue either way, right? You can get a coach or not. It depends on you as a person. I don't think there's a right or wrong to, to that question. But you can also invest as a limited partner rather than being um, going through the mentor route because you learn so much at that time. And plus, you're getting a return on your money. If it's at the right investment, I'm getting an 8% preferred return on that money every year, plus whatever the property goes up, plus my capital. I'll hopefully get a return on my, get my capital back as well. So I'm getting all these things. I'm learning. I'm seeing all these things that they're doing. Plus, I'm getting a return on that money, you know, an 8% return. Is not a bad return, right? It's not not the best return in the world, but it's a pretty solid return, especially when you factor in the tax benefits of um, mm -hmm. you know of, of multifamily real estate. So I, I invest as an LP going forward. I don't think I would do it again, just because I think I can get a better return on my money, and I, I like being active. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the future, once I've created that n number where you know I don't know my net worth is a few million, maybe I would invest a lot more passively at that point because I'll have a lot more disposable income. But at, at this point, I'm not at that point. I'm trying to grow my wealth. You know, I'm, wealth, I'm at the wealth creation point in my life. So, you know, the goal is to do, to, to like I mentioned with that deal, to take whatever I invested initially, create it, make it worth more, 1031 into something else, do the same thing with that one and just keep growing that, um, that equity in the property and keep growing my net worth. And obviously keep growing the cash flow at the same time, right? So, yeah that's kind of my goal now um is and i think limiting you know for for whatever you want to do you know investing passively can be brilliant it can be really really good and i'm a big fan of it, investing passively for the right person right it depends on you as a person so for busy professionals i'm a big component of investing passively so if you're a doctor dentist lawyer whatever it is and you're great at your job and you work 10 hours a day six days a week right it doesn't make sense for you to buy a single family home and then be on the only one day off trying to fix the toilet or trying to mm -hmm. paint or whatever. Now, if you love that, go ahead and do it, right? And there's no right or wrong. I'm just saying, yeah. I think in general, they're a great fit for a passive income because they make good money as well. So if you're doing a job, focus on your job, right? Don't focus on stuff, stuff you can pay someone else to do, kind of, right? Focus on your job, right? You, you, you're a dentist, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor. Focus on your job. Keep being good at your job, right? Don't lose focus of that job. Don't lose focus of what's making you that money. Then invest that money passively and get an 8%, 7% preferred return, plus maybe a 15% IRR, right? An annual return of about 15%. And that'll make you rich in your sleep almost. And the good thing about that is you don't, you don't have to do anything. It's mailbox money. You have to bet the, bet the general partners and the syndicators up front. maybe take a look at the deal as well. And then every month or whatever, every quarter, whenever you get distributions, make sure it is what it is and that's it, you know? And you, you're also using their experience so when you pick a team, you should also pick pick guys that have a successful team, right? Yeah. The guy running the deal doesn't need to have necessary experience, but if he has guys around them, the contractors, the property managers, the legal team, right? If you, they're they're experienced and they know what they're doing, well, you know you're 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 using that to your advantage, right? Whereas if you if, if you're starting out and you've never done a real estate deal in your life, well, you're going to have to learn a lot of hard lessons. You're using them to, you're using the lessons that they've learned to grow your money again. So I think it's, those are a few of many, many benefits of investing passively, in my opinion. Oh, definitely agree with you. I mean, just like the one that you're investing with, I mean, and one of the deal you mentioned, the 458 unit deal is, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's not in Cincinnati. No, it's a uh, Dallas. Can, yeah, because I wanted to guess, I wanted to say Texas. Oh. My best, yeah, got Dallas Fort Worth, yeah, sorry. So good, yeah, good, yeah, lucky. Yeah. So, so here we go. We we buying a lottery ticket today because I'm a, I'm on a run right now. So, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> got, got it. So we split, uh, split it 50 50, right? We can, of course. Okay. <laughs> I'll listen, send you the 50 in the mail. <laughs> listen, the question that I wanted to ask you again at the same time while you're being, because uh, you mentioned again, building a credibility, uh, you know, having all these conversations with the brokers, you know, just, just connecting with them and building the relationship, which is crucial in, in multifamily syndication business. Again, you're kind of established in the industry because, you know, like what I'm thinking, love, like if you're going to come across some people, like they will be like, I have no clue who you are. And you're like pulling up video from YouTube. Hey, that's me. You know, like I'm national TV. Like, look at me. But like you already have the credibility. You you have that kind of a going. But I do understand what you mean, like getting those contacts and relationships with brokers. But can you talk about why is it so important? Because I mean, we connected through social media and you having the YouTube and the podcast and you're making those episodes, which is like one and a half hours. So yeah. why is that so important to the, to the entire game of multifamily syndication? Yeah. So just to take a step back, the credibility is so important with brokers, right? I think we touched on, but you know, they need to know that you're going to close, right? They don't want to waste time with people. That's going to you know, they're going to say, yeah, I'm going to buy a hundred unit property and you have no money, no experience, no nothing. Right. So why should they're going to waste their time sending deals, waste time, taking you to the property, waste time, talking to lenders, waste time, taking it to, to the, to the seller. Right. So the credibility is so important, right? Because, you know, they're human like us, right. They, they work, they only have a certain amount per day. Um, I don't know if my credibility, if my, my uh, past helped me that much maybe a little bit initially but past that you know you have to reply to emails underwrite deals um show that you know what you're talking about right you have to do all these things and if i didn't have any of those it wouldn't have mattered if i was dwayne the rock johnson i don't think per se with them right they wouldn't they wouldn't have taken me seriously but then yeah definitely past that having the youtube having my podcast definitely helps create credibility with them because they see that you're interviewing people in the space, you know, you're learning, you're, you have, if nothing else, you're having a dedication to doing, you know, a podcast every two or three days. Um, plus you're, you're growing your network, right? So you meet other people in the market. And then once you speak to them, like, Hey, I spoke to John and blah, blah, blah. And so the more people, you know, and he said, Oh, he's, he's looking at this deal, blah, blah, blah. So the more you can talk and the more, you know, right. And the more you learn, the more they're going to take you seriously, but definitely having that podcast as well helps because it also creates that network, you know, and also creates, um, improves your knowledge for me that I've learned so much. I've interviewed people, not just from multifamily syndication, but from all kinds of stuff, but also, you, you know, every podcast that I do or any interview that I do, I always learn something, you know, one thing for sure, every time, if not more. Um, so because of that as well, it's just improving you as a person. So there's the benefits are just absolutely, I'm sure you well know the benefits are just unbelievable. I couldn't, when I started it, I was like, I feel like I should do this. Or is it worth my time? But it's been absolutely amazing. Even if I was to stop now, everything that I've got out of it so far has been 10 times more than I ever thought was possible. Exactly. And the mentor of yours, you know, Joe, like, uh, I'm sure he dedicates a lot of his personal success to having almost, I think it's almost 2000 close. So maybe, maybe above 2000 episodes, yeah, daily, daily podcast, yeah, daily podcast. So yeah, he, he probably talks a lot about, you know, thought leadership and having all the social medias and the reasons why you have to have it. So, so, so that is awesome. So again, one thing, uh, one last thing that I wanted to ask you again, cause, uh, like in my personal like view, I mean, you accomplished quite a lot. I mean, when it comes to your personal personal journey, being a professional athlete, being on national TV where you have, you know, uh, 30,000 eyes watching you and, you know, like saying your name and like doing all these crazy things that people can sometimes even imagine. I mean, you've been going through that, all the different things and now you're meeting all the different people and, and you're just networking all over the place and having, you know, being on podcasts just like this one which i really appreciate you being on the show and like but what is the one thing or maybe kind of esoteric question what is the legacy that you're looking to leave behind you huh that's a great question truthfully i don't i don't necessarily know i think if it's anything i think it's bigger than or smaller depends what way you look at it than um the real estate and the, the fame than anything is just be a good person i think truthfully i don't know if that sounds like a generic question but I, I don't know when you when you ask me that i had no idea you're going to ask me that and i really haven't really thought about it too much but i think yeah being a good person and trying trying to make it sounds corny but trying to make the world a better place right it's like you know be the change that you want to see right it's just doing the little things and trying to you know 
those that stuff um i don't know yeah i think if i was to pass today i would rather people said i was a good person and a good guy than a famous person i think for me i think as as i'm thinking about it right now as you asked me that question um yeah i think i would I, my legacy would be a, a, to be a good person i think here you go and that's a good legacy to have that's a good good solid goal you know so yeah absolutely definitely so you, you now you'll get you're gonna you're gonna have more time to think about it so no worries next time <laughs> next time you'll be ready for that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's awesome well, i really appreciate your time you know today um barry it's it's been awesome to kind of you know see your journey through all these years i mean from you know growing up and you know like reaching the heights you know and uh, be becoming a professional athlete doing the tv shows and you know hopefully maybe we're gonna see you doing some work who knows uh yeah. and, and you know transitioning that to becoming uh a really professional like real estate investor by the way you kind of you know like speak and describe the way you conduct business again you the first thing you surround yourself with the right people which is like everybody knows kind of joe like the way he operates business and the way he conducts it so that that's really cool and you, you're on the right path, you know, to, to building your business and reaching your personal, you know, financial goals. So, so that is awesome. And I definitely encourage you guys and girls for watching this episode. So to, as I mentioned at the beginning, to make sure that you contact with Barry on social medias and keep the conversation going, you know, it's follow his journey, ask him some questions. It could be fitness or could it be real estate investing? Who knows? But make sure to make those connections, you know, because that's, that's what it, this show is all about to, to, to like, to connect with people and make sure it's, again, because a lot of people are now looking to invest in real estate. And maybe that's something that you want to do, you know, with, with Barry. So uh yeah so make sure to do so but uh barry really, really appreciate your time today it's, it's been a real pleasure pleasure to connect with you and and uh just to get to know a little bit of your personal journey yeah it's been fun man it's been fun i enjoyed this conversation thanks for having me on man and yeah for anyone who wants to continue the conversation i have a, a link on my website if you guys want to schedule a call it's called wrestlingwithrealestate.com um on there there's a, there's a link to sign up for a 30 minute call i love to talk about real estate i can talk this, about this all day and all night um, so if you reach out there if there's any way I can help you whatsoever I'd love to have that conversation here you go here you go and I can see that he, this man can talk for hours so I said there's going to be one hour and a half which we're actually getting close to but we, we can we can go over that so look it's been a true pleasure one thing uh, guys and girls that I wanted to ask you if you share this episode with a friend of yours you know the friend that I'm talking about is always talking about real estate, investing, multifamily, passive income, but never pulls the trigger. So I think this episode will give a lot of motivation, strategy, inspiration, all the great pieces that are missing maybe for that person to kind of start the steps into a multifamily investing world. So make sure to do that. Again, Barry, I appreciate you being on the show. And as always, I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for watching.